What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Today's interview is with my very good friend, Holly Firestone, who got her start building community and birthrights, went on to build community at Atlassian and built that community team up from the ground up, went on from there to lead a lot of community programs at Salesforce and built a whole community team, went through hiring processes uh, and learned how to really be a great manager of community managers there and more recently moved on to lead community at Venify, where she's building the community from the ground up there and is now reporting directly to the CEO. So just an amazing community professional that has been a member of of our community at CMX since the very beginning and is just such a wealth of knowledge, specifically when it comes to how to build and structure a community team, where your community team should sit within an organization, what are the different roles that make up community teams today, how to hire for community roles. So we really dive deep into all of that stuff to help you figure out how to grow your community team, who you should be hiring, how you should structure it, what makes a great community team. This one's packed with practical insights and lots of very specific tips. You're going to take a ton away from it. Let's dive in. Holly Firestone, welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to be joining you. We go way back. You're my, you know, longtime community industry friend and and Jewish grandmother that I go for. all my advice and and Jewish recipes. I think that's definitely a compliment. That is. It is definitely a compliment. (laughs) Well, you're always someone that's like zero bullshit with me as well, just like a Jewish mother would be. So the relationship is strong. So I'm excited (laughs) to... Uh, for you to call my bullshit on on this interview. And that this sounds podcast. great. I'm super <laughs> excited public. about that too. <laughs> all to hear you 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 shut me down finally. <laughs> Why don't we kick off with just a brief background about you and the work you did at Atlassian and Salesforce and today at Benefy to give everyone a little bit of context about who you are and your background in the world of community building. All right, that sounds great. So I actually uh, started community building a little over 10 years ago. Uh, I know that I am most well known for Salesforce and Atlassian, but I started community working for a nonprofit called Birthright Next. Uh, People that are between the ages of 18 and 26 that are Jewish get to go on a free trip to Israel called Birthright. A lot of people are familiar with that. Um, And then Birthright Next was an organization, a sister organization that built communities, local communities for the alumni of that program. So that's really where I think my my community journey officially started. Um, And so we had fellows in that program that were managing and running different events and out in the community. And then I was managing those fellows and then also having one-on-ones with people as they got back from their trips. So I probably had no fewer than 100 one-on-ones in that year that I was working there. But unfortunately, as it goes with nonprofits sometimes, we ended up shutting down every single office except for New York. Uh, So I was laid off in that fun tour that our CEO had to take to all the different cities. And so then kind of started my next my next step. Um, you know, I was living in San Francisco, so I know I wanted knew I wanted to go into tech. Kind of skip over some stuff right to the Atlassian part because I think that's where things get really interesting. Uh, so I ended up going to Atlassian. I was working for Brittany Walker, who's now uh, director of marketing and community at Webflow. And Brittany had been long time at Atlassian and I was really excited to work for her. But unfortunately, uh, she left a couple months after I started. So that was a real shock, you know, to figure out how to navigate everything, um, you know, obviously learning the organization and its products, but then figuring out what I was going to do with this community. And so I say, unfortunately, of course, because Brittany's awesome and, you know, I was really excited about working with her. But the fortunate part is that that period of time, it taught me a ton. It taught me a ton about who I am as a community builder and, you know, what what I wanted to focus on, uh, I had to prioritize because it was just me for a very long time. And I think that that's where I really you know, learned a lot about building at scale. And if you ask anybody what my best talent is in community building, it's it's thinking about building at scale. So I think that this 
it was a really great opportunity for me to learn and for me to learn kind of trial by fire as well. And I'm really proud of what I did there. I really, um, you know, rebuilt the entire user group program from the state that it was in and, um, you know, thought about how to do that at scale. I built a community for the community leaders uh, to uh, help scale as well. So it was just, it was a really great experience. I loved that community. I loved working at Atlassian, but I did not have a great supportive manager at the time. Manager did not value me or community at all. Mm. And, you know, people leave their roles because they're not happy with, you know, their managers a lot of times. And so ultimately I left, you know, I wanted to go somewhere where community would be supported. Between then and now, of course, I think we all know that the Alaskan community is absolutely amazing. It did end up getting a lot of attention and resources. And so it's great to see that. I'm so happy because it's an amazing community. But I did leave and I went to Salesforce. I was really excited because I wanted to work for Erica Cool, And I don't really have to get into a ton of that. I think everybody knows my mutual love affair with Erica Cool, um, But I was really excited to go to Salesforce after Atlassian. And actually, that whole story is absolutely crazy. It's There's no time to tell it here, but definitely if you want to ask me about that, anybody, uh, I will tell you that story because it's nuts. But ended up at Salesforce and um, I walked in and I thought that I would have no job because the Salesforce community was absolutely perfect. But then we looked under the hood or as Erica likes to say, behind the curtain, it's like the Wizard of Oz when you've got that one person like pulling all the strings. Um, so <laughs> looked under the hood and there was a lot that needed to be done. So came in and, you know, kind of the fixer attitude, you know, started thinking about tracking and building things for scale operations. Um, and I swung a lot of my attention into the user group program, you know, first and foremost, because it's what I knew the best, but also because I saw a lot of potential there that wasn't being utilized. We had some groups, probably 50 or 60 that were active, but we weren't really giving them a lot of attention or resources. And so really coming in and focusing. User groups sorry. being the, um, the local communities that were run by you know, volunteer leaders. That's yes. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And same for, for Atlassian. So we would give them tools and resources and they would run their groups of their local communities. And so, yeah, so really focused on that program because I feel like there's a lot of benefit that comes from that. And it's, it's all over the world. There's a lot of impact that can be had there. So we went probably from like 50 or 60 groups. And by the time I left, we were at 1300. Um, it was, it was massive, massive growth in that program. And I'm really proud of what happened there because we were able to show what the value was of that program. And we were able to really energize our community to step up and participate. And I think that that was huge. And one of the things that I'm most proud of that I, that I did is that we started having a session every year at Dreamforce to get all of the community group leaders together, user group leaders together, and walk through our roadmap. And, you know, did some, we just made it fun. You know, we'd have gifts under their chairs or we'd be throwing swag everywhere, you know, and they just, they didn't have any, they hadn't been appreciated in that way before. And we haven't really gotten them together and helped them build a community amongst leaders. So that was really exciting. Um, and that lives on today, still happens. I think they just did, you know, a virtual one for Dreamforce this year. So it's really exciting to see that that's still going on. And, um, you know, then, you know, uh, <laughs> Salesforce has spent about five years there. And I was reached out to about an opportunity, a security company. And I remember hopping on the call because I think, you know, you always have to at least listen to those, you know, opportunities or yeah, of course. Right. Um, and even today, like, make sure you still got it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> make sure you still got it. But even today, I still talk to every recruiter uh, to better understand what they're hiring for and then give them a list of people to talk to or tell them how they can um, rewrite their job description and get what they're looking for. <laughs> I, I really do take the time to do that. Um, and it's always appreciated because it's very hard to hire for community roles now, but that's off topic. Um, so I, um, you know, I went into this interview with the CMO of Venify and I remember walking into this interview. I mean, it was virtual, but I was thinking of not leaving Salesforce to go to some security company. And I remember leaving that interview and thinking, huh, I am leaving Salesforce to go to some security company. Wow. Yeah, it was a tough decision. What, what but, was yeah. it that like really grabbed you so quickly? So I like to um, I like to call it authentic community intentions. And I could tell very Venify had just that very authentic intentions for what they wanted to do for the community and how the community would operate. Um, and, you know, with a CMO, I, you know, I've talked about this a ton that I hate, not hate, it's a strong word, but I, I don't feel that marketing is the best fit for community. And, you know, I was interviewing to report into the CMO and she just 
got it. You know, she she understood that it was going to take a while to build, that we would need resources to build, you know, what the purpose of the community would be and the audience that we really wanted to reach. And so it was just such a, a breath of fresh air, really, to, to have this conversation with a company and a CMO that I had never talked to. She'd never run a community before. She just got it. And so I think that that was what really moved me in the right direction is these authentic community intentions. It's not often that you see something like that, especially from, you know, an executive level, maybe more and more now, but right. yeah. And and now you've already had kind of an update with that role and, and your, your position within the company, right? Yeah. So um, that has been a really exciting update. So I started at Venify. I took a two month break. Highly recommend everybody takes a break in between roles if you can pull it. Plus one. Plus one. Yeah, exactly. So I, um, I started at Venify in January and of course it's been a crazy roller coaster of a year, but when, um, really what happened? No, I don't know. <laughs> Tell me <laughs> crazy roller coaster of a year. Um, and then a few months in the CMO, Elizabeth Ireland, a wonderful, wonderful person and manager, she decided it was time for her to retire actually. So, um, I talked to her and I said, listen, I think we know that I've never really felt like marketing was the right place for community. I really think that we need to talk about it reporting up to Jeff and she absolutely agreed. And so I put together, you know, Oh, sorry. Yes. (laughs) Jeff, our CEO. And I put together my vision and I presented it to him and he was immediately on board. And then he had me present it to the executive team. Um, So, you know, everybody that reports to him and they were all immediately on board. And then I did a listening tour and I talked to each one of them individually about what they're focused on for the next three to five years. And that was a really great opportunity because we didn't talk about community. We talked about what they're trying to accomplish. And then it's really up to me to craft what that looks like mm-hmm. in terms of what we can do with the community to make that happen. So really exciting conversations that were happening there. And then, um, you know, of course, we decided that to have community touch every part of the business and to send the right message about how important community is, how it's valued at Venify. Uh, we moved me to report directly to Jeff, our CEO, which was, you know, obviously it's really exciting. I think that's a goal for a lot of people in our industry because we want to have the flexibility to serve the needs of the business based on our business's goals Mm -hmm. and not based on, you know, a specific team that we sit on. You know, I think that that limits what you're able to do with community. So, um, you know, really, really excited to, to be at Vetify and to be, you know, reporting directly to Jeff, our CEO. He really does get community. I, you can't believe the email that he wrote to the company when this change happened. It was, I mean, my jaw was on the floor. Sometime I'll have to, you know, share it out or share part of it out because it was just unbelievable how That'd he really cool. just understood community. Um, and I didn't that's, write it. He awesome. wrote it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That must've been a breath of fresh air. You know, we've been in the community industry for about the same amount of time. And just to like, I've definitely noticed a shift in the language that people use and executives, the way they talk about community. Some, some of it's still fluffy, but, you know, seeing people who do actually get it and are using the right terms and understand the value and it doesn't seem, you know, showy yeah. or performative. Yeah. That's been a huge shift. And even just the last year, it's really seemed to take a new turn. Yeah, absolutely. And funny thing is that um, I was talking to our CEO, Jeff, about uh, user groups. And I you know, I was talking about when we wanted to possibly kick off a user group program. And I, I started explaining to him what a user group was. And he, he interrupted me, stop right there, stop right there. I was one of the first user group leaders in Silicon Valley. I forgot which one it was. And I was just like, what a kind of dream come true is this? I didn't even have to explain it to him. He was just like, do it. <laughs> Great. Awesome. So yeah, it's it's kind of a dreamy experience to say the least. Yeah. Well, you know, I think you got your roots in in the right place with mm-hmm. birthright, you know, as yeah. a, as a, as a participant in birthright, I know how hard it must've been to keep a community engaged afterward. Cause yeah. I remember on my birthright trip, which for those of you who don't know, it's, you know, a free trip to Israel for if you're Jewish, basically in the U S and, uh, it's actually global fun fact in the global. Yeah. No, I didn't know mm-hmm. that. Cool. So, but yeah, I remember like at the end of our birthright trip, we were like, we're all going to be best friends for life. And like, we're going to get dinner every week and like, we're never going to separate. And then like three months later, it's just completely, completely disjointed. Yeah. Yeah, All the magic was gone. So that that was not, you were thrown into the community fires of having to keep uh, birthright people engaged after their trips. Yep, definitely. (laughs) 
I'm really excited to dive into some of the things that already came up in in your story. And I think like a lot of the questions that people have today is, is how do we build a team? How do we grow our team? How do we hire for community positions? Now that teams are finally in a position where their their teams are growing and they're trying to scale their programs, it's no longer always going to be this solo community professional, just like one community manager that's doing it all. People are, and teams are finally starting to make real investments in community. But there isn't a lot of you know standards or foundation for what a community team looks like and where it fits into a company. And, you know, I think you're one of the few people who has deep experience with those questions. So my first question is kind of touching on that topic of where does community fit within the business? You said that you don't think it should fit under marketing. A lot of companies have community under marketing. Why don't you think it fits under marketing particularly? And where do you think community should live within an organization? How, how should it intersect with other departments? My thought about marketing is probably similar to my thought about a lot of different teams. But with marketing, you know, you're not going to be driving necessarily towards the same goals as the rest of the marketing team, which is what actually happened at Benefy. You know, they'd have goal setting sessions and I would be the kid in the corner that had nothing related to the top level goals that the marketing team was looking at and, you know, building out their attribution models. So, you know, I don't think that it's necessarily the best fit, but I do think that, you know, community, of course, there's marketing benefit from community. I think ideally in an organization is, is my situation that it rolls up to the CEO and that it's its own team and that you can focus your goals on business goals. And that means thinking about these top level goals for your company and then what the community can do and the role the community can play in getting there. And that may mean you're focused, you know, more on a marketing type goal or more on a support type goal, but you have the flexibility to move and um, kind of swing in one direction or the other, swing your resources in one direction or the other uh, based on your business goals. And that's kind of your North Star. So I think that, you know, obviously every community is different. You know, if your community is really just focused on product feedback, sitting in the product organization is really important. But I think that the way that we look at community now, it can be and it is so much more that you, you know, you limit yourself if you're not looking at how it can impact the entire business. And then I think the other piece of this is that what message does it send to your community when you're in marketing? You know, do they feel confident that they're going to be in your community and they're going to, you know, not be marketed at or that it's authentic? But when it rolls up directly to the CEO, that sends a message. That says our community is important, that it is resourced, that it is valued, and that you can expect, you know, innovation to happen there too. Mm -hmm. You described how marketing would have these top level goals that didn't align with community. What were kind of the goals that you had with community that didn't? quite fit under marketing? Um, I think it's probably more the other way around that like these marketing goals, like pipeline, you know, generating pipeline and, you know, things like that aren't necessarily what I'm thinking about when I'm building a community. And, you know, of course, when you first start a community, you're thinking about the health metrics of the community, but then building further, you know, of course, you're thinking about pretty much everything else under the sun. So if I'm sitting in marketing, you know, it becomes a little bit more challenging for me to think about support deflection or product ideation. Um, not that it's impossible, of course, it certainly depends on your leadership. But, you know, when you think about the resources you need for all those different pieces, where do they come from and how do you figure all those out? I think it becomes a lot easier if you sit across every organization, essentially. Right. Yeah. So it's not that community doesn't drive marketing goals or it can't. It's just you don't want it to be overly focused on any one department if that's not necessarily what the community and the community team should be focused on given the, the company's broader goals because community yeah. just drives so much more value than just marketing. Exactly. You've got to have that flexibility to be able to to move in whatever direction makes the most sense at the time based on, you know, top level goals as a business. Right. Yeah, I've been describing it. I know a lot of, I think you as well, a lot of people have kind of described it as like the hub and spoke model. Mm -hmm. um, so like community is almost more similar to people ops or HR or design. You know, it's something that kind of touches and integrates with all the different parts of the company rather than it living under, you know, one independent mm -hmm. department. Yep. I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. So community teams, you know, really needing to be independent. That's, I think, a trend 
that will grow. Uh, I think it still does often sit under marketing, and I think you're exactly right on why that's probably not a good idea. But yeah, that's going to require more uh, people reaching the senior level position where they have a seat at the table as the community lead, you know, reporting directly up to the CEO or, you know, at least being horizontal to these other team leads. Right. So now you have this kind of opportunity to design the team and you've built up a team at Salesforce. I'm curious, what what are you thinking about when, when it comes to designing a community team? Like, who are the people that you need on a successful community team? What are the different kinds of roles that exist? So I think this is largely dependent on the needs and maturity of your community, right? So, you know, the team that I built at Salesforce was, I think, a great way to operate for that community, very mature, large community. But, you know, when I think about the team that I'm building at Venify, it's completely, mm-hmm. it's completely different, right? You can't specialize too much at this point. You need somebody that, or multiple people that, you know, are really, really good, really good at a variety of things and that are willing to roll up their sleeves, you know, to build with you. So, okay. So can you describe what practically it looks like at Salesforce and what, what practically it would look like at a earlier stage company? What are the roles at either of those types of companies? Sure. So at Salesforce, the way I had my team set up, it, it of course evolved throughout the time that I was there. But where we landed ultimately was I had a senior community manager that managed our team of three community managers. And the way that I had them split up is that um, we had one focused on product. So the relationship between the product team and the community, getting product feedback you know, from the community, getting product teams to talk to the community, all of those different pieces. The second one was content. So building out a content strategy for the content that got shared into the community and then the content from the community that we wanted to highlight, lift, and share back with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the third one of that was engagement. So, and that was a big one. I actually, you know, if you have enough people, I would say you you split that and have, you know, two people doing that at least, depending on the size of your community. But that's thinking about, you know, what special things are going on in the community? Are you celebrating holidays? How are you interacting with everybody in the community? How is everybody else on the team interacting with the community? Um, you know, for the Salesforce MVP program, how how are rewards and recognition, you know, how are we figuring out exactly what that looks like? So a lot of those different pieces, it doesn't mean it's the only person that is engaging. It just means that they're building out the strategy for how it all works across the team and figuring out the best ways to execute on it. So that was one side of the house. And then the other side, I had operations. So that was six people that worked for me and two of those people were operations. So that's a third of my team. And I I think that that's really important to note because I felt like that was an extremely important part of what we did and why we did it so successfully. So we had um, somebody that was the support, sorry, not support, the operations manager and senior manager. And then we had a coordinator and the coordinator started as kind of a coordinator across everything, but she really swung in the direction of operations, um, not too far into, into her role. So she started reporting to the operations manager and that's that's where they were focused the majority of their time. So, so that was kind of the breakout of my team. And so then I was, you know, focused on a lot of the internal conversations, strategy, obviously managing the team, things like that. Got it. For the most part. Uh, NFI. NFI is still kind of a blank slate to figure out. I think, like I said, you know, I'm really focused on finding people that are really talented in the community space, have experience across different types of communities or different types of programs that are willing to roll up their sleeves and builds that, you know, I've seen success from them somehow, some way before. And, you know, obviously that this is something that they want to do. They're excited about building. So it's a little bit more, it's a little bit looser right now, exactly how I'm going to put the team together. But I know, you know, I'm focused more on the individuals than I am on exactly what they're doing because they kind of, you know, like I said, you can't have them be specialists. They need to, they need to be a little bit more broad. My first hire is going to be absolutely exceptional and I'm hoping the same for the rest. Right. And so I guess, you know, you're, you're looking for someone who can be a generalist and and probably uh, have their hands in engagement and operations and kind of be able to do a little bit of all these things until you're able to grow the team and hire people to specialize more in those different roles like you did at Salesforce. Yep, absolutely. 
Cool. Lots of questions now. So I'm curious to dive into operations specifically, mm-hmm. the concept of community operations and a community operator is really interesting. And I think a lot of people use that term, but it's still not very well defined. How do you define community operations and the role of a community operator? I wish I had an analogy here. I'm going to come up with one at some point, but community operations person um, or people, you have to think about all of the things that you do as a community team and the things that you do that interface with the community and the things that you do that don't. And the things that don't, you know, all of these these pieces are around process and building to scale and tracking and metrics and all of those things that you really have to think about, especially as you're growing, because most community teams aren't huge and not setting yourself up to be able to scale and to track right from the beginning, you're really going to be in a world of hurt later on down the line. So that's what I think about for community operations. So, you know, we had a support channel, of course, at Salesforce, it was uh, service cloud at Atlassian, it was Jira service desk, but that's where everything from the community came into. Um, and obviously it wasn't product support, it was community support. So then, you know, we had an operations person that would triage well, we had an operations person that built out that whole support channel, of course, and then you know our operations person that would triage all of those tickets, but then also build out all of the processes you have to think about, like swag distribution or dashboards that we're we're thinking about for tracking or our CRM. How are we? How are we? You know, looking at all of our members and their activity. So. I mean, it really, there's a lot that fits in that bucket. Um, Certainly a lot more that they can be doing, but obviously you have to prioritize. And I think, you know, my mantra is scale, track, optimize. And that's a lot of what community operations people do. Hmm. It's really interesting. Would you say that that person is more of a traditional operator, like someone who would do something similar for, Um, just business-wide operations or marketing operations or sales operations more so than they are like a community person, quote unquote, like someone who's like a community manager, very, you know, focused on building engagement and things like that. Yes. uh, With the caveat, Um, I think that you want a program manager or, you know, someone that, that has that operations background. It's really, really important, but as part of that, they have to be on your team. Like you can't just pull an operations person, you know, from another part of the business and hope they set everything up for you. This person needs to be in lockstep with everything that's going on and really understand community, understand community management. So I think that even if you get someone that doesn't have community backgrounds, they need to be brought up to speed and they need to understand what this means and how it all works. But the ideal situation, of course, is someone that, you know, has a little bit of both, but that's very hard to find. Um, Tiffany Oda at Salesforce is a unicorn. She's absolutely exceptional. She's both. She really gained a lot of community knowledge, but then has built out the most incredible operations you can imagine. She's just absolutely exceptional. Became a Salesforce admin so she could manage our instance of Salesforce the community. I mean, I can't say enough amazing things about her. And then Kendall Odom, who is also doing operations, also just exceptional, building out all of the structure that our team needed is really the backbone of the community team. Yeah, that's really cool. And I mean, I think there's a lot of community builders who would listen to this and just be like, wow, it would kill to have someone on my team that can help kind of manage and create all these processes and operations. Mm Because frankly, it's often not what community people like to be spending their time on. They really like to be you know, interacting and creating content and engaging. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm kind of projecting here for my, nice. <laughs> myself. Um, but uh, to have someone who's like really, really intentional and really experienced and good at driving that operations, yeah. wh- how much that would make the community team's life easier and better mm-hmm. is pretty incredible. It's funny because I'm definitely a hybrid of the two. I love the process. You know, I love all the process pieces and figuring out how do we track things, how do we scale, like the stuff that we put in place at Salesforce. You know, that was my my vision is to have all of these things operating, mm-hmm. you know, automating more because then you can get to the really good stuff, which is the engagement piece. Um, and you know, totally. often operation stuff pulls you away from that. So I like both. Huh? I'm a hybrid. Yeah, I'm learning to love the operation stuff. I think. It's taken me a while, but now, like, once you get into it and you start to see the fruits of that labor, mm-hmm. it's really exciting because you see how it unlocks um, just scale and, and more opportunity for the rest of your team. 
What are like some processes that you found were most important and critical to put into place on an operations level uh, in order to unlock that scale for your community? Um, I think one of the things is this idea of support, support queue, support center, you know, Jira service. When Okay, taking a step back, when anybody in the community, like a user group leader, a top contributor, anything had questions, they would just find someone's email address. Or when somebody wanted to be onboarded as a community group leader, you know, they wanted to join and step up to volunteer their time to do this, they would just find someone's email and email them. And that is where a lot of the process got stuck. And so building out you know, support. So one email address, community at, that helps things so much because we were able to track what was going on. If somebody was out of town, we knew that someone could pick it up and keep moving it forward. So, and, and we had a history, right? Like if somebody ever leaves, you know, you can go back and look at conversations and you're really tracking what is going on with each member of the community or leader in the community that's reaching out to you. So I think that was huge. Mm-hmm. And then so much more, the onboarding piece, onboarding a new user group leader takes a really long time. And that process, you know, we, we got down to pretty um, exceptional process because it was, it was crazy. You know, it was like pages and pages and pages of steps that you needed to take to onboard somebody. And it was, it was crazy. So focusing on those things first, I think, you know, the things that are taking the most time, but are the least valuable, they have to be automated. Same goes for like swag and swag distribution. It's just mm-hmm. tons of that stuff. Yeah. And I'm just like imagining, you know, how much more impact community teams could have had over the last 10 years if, they were given the resources and support to be able to build out full teams the same way marketing and product and sales and you know other departments that have operations leads and project managers and team leads and data scientists and all these additional kind of specialists mm-hmm. that and meanwhile like it's like the lone community manager with their three years of experience who's expected to like do all of that and then and then companies wonder right. back in the day like well, well you know why, why are we seeing that much value from this community it seems like right. you know we're not we're not getting a lot out of it right uh and it, it's like it's kind of that vicious cycle of if you don't invest in it then you're not going to see value and if you don't see value you're not going to invest in it mm-hmm. and really staffing your community team properly breaks that cycle yeah, absolutely. I I bring this up. I mean, every community person brings this up all the time, right? It's really tricky because everybody wants you to to prove value immediately and you simply you can't do that. And if you look at community like a product, you need all these people to play these roles. And having one person do it, I I joke all the time, but it's kind of serious that I'm like, I'm the developer and the product manager and HR and you know, the documentation writer, like right. all of these different roles that you have to play. It's impossible. Yeah. It's impossible to do it really well. And if it's, you know, the way we described where communities, this hub and spoke model, and it's meant to support all the different parts of the business and in, in sales and marketing and product and support, you know, that's now once again, one person who's coordinating with all these different teams and all these different metrics and goals, mm-hmm. whereas like great teams, I think this is what Salesforce ultimately did too, right? Is, you know, put people uh, in positions to work directly with those teams, whether that's living on the community team and intersecting with other teams, or sometimes it's hiring community people to live on that marketing team or on that customer success team and still integrate back to the core community team. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say that that was a perfect situation though. I mean, it gets a little bit tricky, especially at a big organization, because then you're starting to create silos. Ideally, Hmm. you know, it would work that way. And the second part of what you're saying, you know, happens that it gets, you know, pulled back to the community team, but at a huge organization, it just, it starts getting tricky. The lines get a little bit fuzzy. So, you know, that's something that we'll see start getting worked out. I think as these big companies are building big communities. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder what are models that we can look to as good examples you know, design comes up often for me again as like, you know, it's kind of cross-functional. And so you might have a designer who's focused on website. You might have a designer on the marketing team. You might have a designer on the product team. Um, They're all doing design, but it's for different purposes. Mm -hmm. And they also need to have an alignment on what your voice is and your aesthetic and your your design standards and things like that. So Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's something that could crossover into community where you would have community people on each of these teams, but they'd still have 
they'd still be abiding by the same community standards and structure and voice and tone and things like that. Yep, absolutely. And it's interesting, you know, at Salesforce, we had community marketers and they were, they were on our, not on directly on the community team, kind of dotted line, but they were on our, you know, just one step bigger team. And so I think that that's really interesting too, is that, you know, having them report up to a marketing org gives them, you know, career development opportunities. You know, they're not necessarily going to learn a ton about marketing from a community person, but then they, they really were, they were in all our team meetings. They really understood what we were doing um, and why. Love it. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, what do you think is really important for someone who's managing a community team? What were systems or things that you did to make sure that team is successful and supported and had what they need to, to do their work? So the way that I, I think that I support my team, there's, there's a bunch of different ways. Um, so I have to rack my brain a little bit because I haven't managed a team in a year, but you know, I, a lot of stuff, I think a regular one-on-one is so important and it's not just you ticking off a list of everything that you want to talk to them about. They really have to be in the driver's seat for your one-on-one. So there's always, you spend, you know, half talking about the things that they need to get answered from you or, you know, whatever questions or topics you need to discuss. And then half you're talking about them. What do they need? How are they feeling? What's going on? But they're equally important in my opinion, you know, and I think that creating a space for them to be able to share is also really important and to share on a regular basis. So how often do you do your one-on-ones? Weekly. Weekly. How long are they? About an hour. Depending, but usually an hour. Yeah. Usually an hour. So you're doing that with, you had six people on your team. And so you're doing six hours. I did not. So I had two direct reports and I did an hour with them. And part of it was them telling me, you know, what's going on with their teams too, but they were doing it with their teams. So then we would have skip levels too. So I think it was once a quarter, I would meet with everybody that was on uh, their teams, just one-on-one. Yeah. And those were great too. I think it's really important to have, you know, some direct level of communication with everybody on your team so they can voice anything that's going on as well. Did you have a specific format or set of questions that you used in your one-on-ones? No. Uh, like I said, I wanted them to be the drivers. So, you know, I, what I asked is that they would put together all the topics that they want to cover and send it to me that, like maybe the night before the one-on-one. So I would be prepared because I don't want to waste their time either. So if they had questions I didn't know the answer to, I could go right. figure out you know, what the answer was. So uh, they were getting their questions answered too. Did it always work out like that perfectly? Absolutely not. <laughs> but that was the that was the hope. Yeah, totally. Yeah, we do. Uh, I do the same thing every week. Uh, actually, I switch it to biweekly now just because meetings are going to be the death of me. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it's hard to balance because I think one-on-ones are extremely important. Uh, we do them half an hour, so they're pretty quick. Uh, we go through five questions each time. You know, it's like, what's bringing you joy right now? What's bringing you pain? Any radical candor feedback that you have to share intentions for the next week and the opening question is just like, how are you doing today? And mm-hmm. they can share just like traffic light, red, yellow, green yeah. to kind of just set the tone of where they're coming from. Yeah. I really like that. I really like having, having that kind of structure and, you know, benchmarking, you know, that you can look at and see what's going yeah. on in a pattern. That's really great. We started using um, Lattice now for one-on-ones mm-hmm. and that's been really helpful because they don't have the red, yellow, green, but they have like five, smiley face levels basically mm-hmm. of like how they're doing but now i can see all of their updates over time and and so i can see like oh wow that person's been like kind of medium okay three weeks in a row maybe maybe we should check in on that yeah um so it kind of gives me a good idea of you know trends and uh, morale yeah that's great i love that and you can actually compare that against stuff that's going on in the company too right like a big announcement and then the next three weeks everybody's you know, medium excitement. Exactly. So it's interesting. Any other systems or things that you think are really important for managing a community team? Systems wise? No. I mean, there's a ton of stuff that, you know, most companies do also. So we do, uh, we do surveys at Venify, not that I'm a people manager yet. Um, but then at Salesforce, same thing. There were surveys that happened twice a year and you would give feedback on your manager if, they had enough people on their team that it wouldn't, you know, make it, you know, not anonymous anymore. So if you had, I think over like four people, you would get the feedback. And so looking at what that feedback was, uh, what the ratings were, if you're improving, that stuff is really, really important. And as a team, we would always go through and then figure out exactly what we wanted to do to improve. So looking at each thing that was on the list and seeing what scored low. And at first we did it where all the leaders would get together and make these decisions for the community team. 
then we started having the team do it, uh, which was really great too, because they we're not speaking for them, you know, they can better identify what some of the issues are and how they might be fixed. And that was really great too. Yeah. And I, uh, I was scoring pretty high actually. I was one of the highest scoring managers at Salesforce two years running. So I'm not surprised just fresh off my shoulder. <laughs> not surprised at all. Cool. I wanted to ask as well about the kind of levels of seniority that you set up in your team. You had shared with me in the past some of your kind of tools or frameworks for thinking about, you know, what is a community manager? What is a senior level community manager? And what are the kind of requirements or criteria that you look at for determining what someone's level is within a team? I would love if you could just talk through that to the extent you're able to. I know it's a pretty detailed thing and maybe we can share in the uh, notes afterward what you've written about it, but what are the levels and how do you think about kind of that community career path for your team? It is a very detailed, it is a very detailed plan. Um, But I, first, you know, I want to say you have to think about this because we, to move forward as an industry, have to be thinking about what the path is for community professional and people like you and me that have been doing this for a while, kind of ran this like jagged, erratic path to wherever we are. And I, I don't think we're past that yet. Um, I, think no, that, I don't recommend I, my path. <laughs> or mine. Um, but I think that um, this is something that we have to dedicate time to and we have to push forward in our organization. So making sure that there is a clear career path for everybody on your team, whatever that looks like, it may be different. You know, I had my team set up that I had someone focused on engagement content and product, the community managers, because I didn't want them to just be general community managers. How do you differentiate the work that they're doing? How do they feel like they're becoming experts in something, right? So, you know, I think that that's really important is to is to make sure that you're giving them an opportunity to learn and to grow and then to grow in their roles. In terms of leveling, of course, it it really depends on your company as well. You know, thinking about a coordinator and the years of experience they need to have, and then a manager, and then a senior manager, and then a director, and the senior director and VP, and they all have, you know, different layers of things that you're looking for. So number of years of experience overall, number of years of community experience, types of things, you know, the scope of their role, who are things escalating to, how much responsibility do they have? Are they owning a program? Are they owning, you know, something within a program? Do they have a strategy piece? All of these things come into play when you're thinking about leveling and thinking about how to grow the scope of someone, you know, as part of a promotion path too. I found like the hardest part to articulate in these kinds of structures is what does it mean for someone to be quote unquote strategic uh-huh. or like, you know, in, in a decision making position or something like that. It, it seems kind of arbitrary. How do you think about defining that to know of like, okay, you've reached the point where you are now uh, strategic or um, are able to be the decision maker on something? I think that if you don't have everybody on your team making decisions, you've got a problem. That like screams micromanagement to me. I think you have, sure, like not everybody can make every decision, but you have to make sure that the boundaries are super clear right off of the bat and say, these are the things that are in your scope. If it's, you know, something else, you, you raise it to your manager, but like you have to give everybody ownership. You have to give everybody the opportunity to move in that direction to have ownership, to make decisions. And sure, it has to be, you know, within a certain scope, you know, their scope of what they, what they can do. But I think setting those expectations really early on, making sure they feel very comfortable about what they're, what they can make decisions on and what they can't putting those, you know, bumpers in place for them is the best thing that you can do because then they know what, you know, their path is and what they can do and what they can decide and the ownership that they have. And that's a really empowering feeling. So everybody has some kind of decision-making power. You just have to decide where those decisions are made based on levels or scope of role. Right. I'm curious how you would articulate the difference between a, a community coordinator kind of like kind of entry level mm-hmm. and a senior community manager aside from years of experience, right? Like that's always a good kind of general rule, but I'm thinking more of like, what are the capabilities that you look for that someone's ready to be put in a, you know, senior community management position? I think like any other role, there's certain differences. So you think about the scope of work, 
Um, you know, community coordinator is going to be doing something, at least on my team, like triaging tickets that come in, managing, you know, some of the administrative stuff for the onboarding process, answering questions in the community, some, you know, different moderation, posts are flagged, things like that. And a senior manager uh, is probably doing a lot more of the engaging in the community and then also thinking about projects, you know, that they have within programs. So, that's, I guess, where they get the more strategic opportunity. So something like, let's say, uh, let's use content as an example. So somebody that is a community manager and focused on content, you know, they have a lot of direction, you know, of how what what they want to put in place to be successful there. So uh, one of the things at Salesforce uh, that Sofia Rodriguez Mata put together was a content library. And so that was where the user group leaders would go to get content for their events, but exactly how that was set up and the success metrics and all of those pieces, everything there was, um, you know, created by, by her. Sure. There's, you know, other people on the team that are giving input for that strategy and her manager of course participates too, but like she really got to take that and run with it. So I think it's a mix of, like you said, years of experience, but also ownership. So what's the scope of the ownership that they have in that role? And then how, how are they, growing? How are they succeeding in that role? And is it time to move them to the next step? And then you have to think about people management as a part of it too. Um, and, you know, are they ready to, to manage other people? That's a, that's a big step in the process too. And, um, mm. you know, what does that look like? How do you know someone's ready to manage people? It's a conversation for sure. Some people don't want to, uh, and so right. not pushing them into that, I think is really important too, but I really get excited when somebody shows interest in it because we start thinking about opportunities to grow in that way. So a great example is if you get, if you get an intern on your team, you know, you can certainly have them start off by, by managing that relationship, but also playing a really big role in it too. You can't just kind of leave them <laughs> and run away, you know, certainly, you know, playing a role in that one-on-ones coaching. Um, I think all of that is, is really important and it's an investment. It's an investment in them and it's an investment for your team because you're growing them into a leader. So I think it kicks off with them saying they want to do it. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, and internships. I think that's something we're, we're going to be looking into that a lot with CMX. And, I saw that. It's exciting. Um, you see a lot of people ask about getting into community and like, how do I get started in community management? It's so hard to get a first community manager job without experience. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping more companies create that opportunity through community internships because it, it seems like a no brainer. It's just like you get someone who's really ambitious and excited to like be engaging in your community and building things and it, mm-hmm. to your point gives your team an opportunity to manage and teach and and it gives people an opportunity to break into, into the industry in a really efficient way so i'm excited for that yeah i will say this four people on my team at salesforce had no community experience before coming to salesforce wait four wow. three four anyway yeah pretty amazing um and you know they mostly came in at the coordinator level um but they mm-hmm. all grasped and ran with it quickly Totally. Yeah. And actually all three of the people on my team did not have experience in the community industry. Some of them had a little experience in kind of related spaces like events or content, but same thing. And and they're all doing really incredible work. So you certainly don't need someone to have a ton of community experience unless you're, I think, hiring them for that more strategic role than you probably do. Yes. Which is a everybody's probably sick of hearing me say this because I'm like a broken record, but that is a whole other important topic, I think. A whole other cup of tea. It's a whole other cup of tea, but senior level community professionals, we need to focus as an industry on making sure that, you know, their value, our value is understood. You know, now everybody's like, I want a community. I'm so excited about community. I understand the value of community, but the community professional is is an important piece of this. And so hiring someone with community experience And I think it's important for all of us kind of going back to what you were saying, you know, about the chicken and the egg situation. But a lot of companies, if they start a community and they hire someone that has zero community experience, they're simply not going to see the value Mm -hmm. that they could have. And then it's this vicious cycle of, oh, community doesn't work. So I, I can't say that enough. I am a broken record, but we must, must, must make sure that we are showing the value of community experience and a community professional in this industry. Right. Agreed. And I think for startups, you know, there's always this trade-off of hiring really scrappy junior people that will figure things out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they'll do that for for marketing and sales and, and everything. Um, so communities certainly, you know, not exempt from that. But I think often we see even like mid-size or fast-growing companies that are hiring more senior 
level leaders for these different departments are still hiring that like extremely junior community manager to run the entire community program. And, you know, I, I would agree and make the argument that when you're hiring that first community hire, it's obviously hard, but you want that, you know, unicorn or that just really well-versed person who has strategic experience, but is still willing to roll up their sleeves and get, you know, hands-on and build engagement in the community. You don't want someone who's like brand spanking new and has no idea how to do strategy. And maybe you also don't want that, you know, industry veteran who seems like they're not super willing to roll up their sleeves Mm -hmm. just yet. Yeah. And I think another thing is it's just hard to find people that have been doing this for a long time, you know, because it wasn't, you know, because it wasn't funded or resourced, people got in, got out, you know, didn't necessarily spend 10, 15 years at this. Um, you had to yeah. really have thick skin to do it. So <laughs> thick skin and be willing to live on no money. Um, <laughs> so yeah. No buying, no money. Yeah. No buying, no money, no resources. <laughs> here we are. What still are we doing? Community. Why did we do this? I don't know. We must, <laughs> actually like community for genuine reasons. I don't know what's wrong with that. But now it's paid off. It's certainly like, hey, yeah. How many recruiters reach out to you a week? It's (laughs) a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's changing now. And that's really exciting to see the people who have stuck around in the industry. And even people who've been around for three to four years are like some of the most senior people in the industry now and getting really, really great opportunities to take on some pretty impactful roles within organizations. And I don't know about you, but like the roles that I'm seeing companies hire for are definitely more and more senior than, than we've seen in the last, you know, five to 10 years. So um, I think we're, I think we're turning the corner on that. I think so too. I I, I see it's kind of a yes and no, because I'll see roles that the scope is, you know, amazing and it's huge. And then they'll be like senior manager. manager, you know, and it's not necessarily build out the entire community strategy and pick a platform and da 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 and all these things. They're not necessarily leveled correctly, but some are. So I think we'll see more of that, like you said, turning a corner. Totally. And we could give them a break because like we said, leveling is still, you know, something we're all figuring out. Even those of us who have been in the industry for a long time are still still trying to articulate like what that right level is. And, but yeah, I think we're going to see more and more legitimate VPs of community. Mm -hmm. Um, We're already seeing more and you and I have talked a lot about this, but soon I think we'll start to see more legitimate chief community officers. What makes it legitimate? <laughs> what's, what's legitimate to you? Just like not not performative, not just like right. slapping the title on it. I'm trying to think of an example without calling anyone out. Right. I hear what you're saying, though, like just to say that they have someone in the head of community that isn't actually doing the role, but then you have a team that's actually running everything essentially yeah 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 like i don't i don't know if this is a a fair a completely fair criticism but like brian chesky at airbnb has had like head of community and i think they're a very community driven company and they have an amazing community team and they legitimately invest in it more than most companies but i don't think he's really like functioning practically in the role of like a chief community officer i think it's more of like yeah, this is just speaking to the brand and how he thinks about the work he does as CEO. Yep. And I think that is an issue for us, right? Because community is a word that's used all over the place and has completely different meanings. And think about community manager and it's a department manager. So I think, you know, we've got we've got some work to do there too. Last question, and then we'll go into a rapid fire question round. Sure. So we've kind of gone real deep into what an amazing community team looks like. What are the things that you look for when interviewing in order to be able to, you know, identify who who would be a great community manager or community operator for your team? Number one is empathy. And I think that you can find that in your conversations with anybody and understand, are they thinking about the experience for the people in your community? First and foremost, can they put themselves in their shoes? Are they thinking about, you know, building for that, for that group of people? So I think that that's the most important because I don't think anybody can do the work that you do in a community team without that. Um, I think, you know, another thing is that I try to make most of my interviews a really casual discussion. You know, I know people are really nervous when they're interviewing, but try to steer it at least in that direction, just to, just to see, you know, how we're interacting and kind of along with that, sometimes I, um, and some of my, I guess more kind of senior manager and up 
roles, I've done a whiteboarding session with them. I did this mm-hmm. with uh, Ashley Elder at Atlassian. It was amazing. It's, it was so much fun. And I've done that with a few, I did that with a few people on my, my team at Salesforce as well. But it's really about like, how do we riff together? You know, how are we brainstorming mm-hmm. together? If I give them constructive feedback, how did they respond? If I give them positive feedback, how do they respond? You know, how do they shift based on the feedback that that they're getting? So it's really, it's just really interesting to kind of really cool. to riff with someone and to see how they think and you know see how you know they respond to certain things that you do when you're when you're collaborating together. So I love that, and I I actually look back on all of those pretty fondly because it was it was a lot of fun. Um, to do it with everybody that I've done it with and ultimately led to hiring some really incredible individuals like Ashley. I really love that. What's like a problem that you're trying to solve or an example of a problem you try to solve in a whiteboard session? Like what would you actually work on with, with somebody who has, you know, limited understanding of the community to that point? That's a good question. I try to give, you know, some information in advance, but and during, you know, I'm not just going to like let them out there. We're riffing. We're going, we're going to work on it together. But I think one of them, I, I wanted to plan a user group leader event, you know, and show them that we appreciate them, but also provide training. So what are they thinking about? What would we plan? How would they make it special? How do we make them feel appreciated? What do we need to think about? Like, as we're doing this, what, what's the most important, what are our goals? So kind of stuff like that. And it's not necessarily just around the event, um, you know, it's really around what we can do to make them, the leaders feel valued and, mm-hmm. and all those pieces. But also, you know, I, for an event, that's, that's a great example of somebody, you know, process oriented and checking things off of the list and being able to get things done and prioritize. So, yeah. uh, that's, that's one that I've done. That's really cool. I love that. I'm going to think about how we can implement that. I'm assuming that's a later stage in the interview process. Like you're, you're having a couple conversations first and yes. <laughs> is that like the final stage for you? Yes. Like I, I go back to Ashley Elder, but just because we were, we had the best time in ours. We were cracking up. It was just, she was so good. You know, she was coming up with the greatest ideas. She took, you know, feedback really well. It was just such an awesome experience. So yeah, it's later, it's way later in the, in the process. Um, yeah. but yeah, and, and I've had a bunch of really great ones, but I love that. you just know, you know, pretty quickly in one of those. That's great. I really like that. Great tip. Uh, awesome. Are you ready for the rapid fire question round? I guess so. You're going to have to be ready because it's happening right now. Okay. I'm ready. Let's do this. I haven't, by the way, I haven't given you any shit this whole time. Just so you know, I've been very. I'm a little disappointed. I I made the promise. It's a little uncomfortable for me. (laughs) Yeah, look at us just having a normal conversation. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it, but you know, you you can find an opportunity in in the rapid fire question round. We'll see. I don't. I don't need everybody knowing my dirty secret that I'm just actually not a nice person. (laughs) (laughs) I have no filter whatsoever. You're like the meanest nice person I know. Like. really awesome of you to say i I really that crown (laughs) you're like you're like like the master of tough love (laughs) yeah well we won't get into the story of how you and i actually became friends and my feedback but maybe a story for another time (laughs) wait no now you have to tell it no (laughs) we don't have time Do it in the rapid in a rapid fire version. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I went to the first CMX and I thought it was a really awesome experience, but there were more people that attended that I thought were going to attend or that y'all thought were going to attend actually. So the chairs were really smushed together and I was sitting in between people, but like my arms were all over them. And so when y'all asked for feedback after the event, there were two very important pieces of feedback that I gave. And one of them was that uh, you owed me child support because the person sitting next to me impregnated me because I was sitting so close to them. And I don't think y'all ever got feedback like that. And that was it from then on. Like we couldn't, you know, we, couldn't we became separate from, yeah, from then pretty on. much because I think that y'all probably had to pick your jaws up off of the floor. Meanwhile, this is just, you're used to it now. This is just classic Hollywood Firestone. Back then it was probably golden. There was definitely the option to be anonymous and, and you're like, I want you to know. I want you to know who said this. <laughs> this is Holly Golden and I write my name down and don't forget it. <laughs> That's great. And I was like, I got to follow up with this attendee. <laughs> And now right. it's a well, tradition, too. I keep doing it. Not that exactly, right. but something horrific. It's great. It's part of the CMX Summit tradition. You know, that's <laughs> what makes communities great, traditions. Yeah, of course. Um, awesome. So great, great kickoff to a rapid-fire question. Mm-hmm. Told you at time. All right. So uh, next question. Who's an up-and-coming community builder or creator that you recommend we all follow? Uh, I love Brittany Koshera. She is a community manager at Webflow, and I think she is amazing. Uh, she's an amazing community professional, and I think we're going to see a lot more from her over the next few years. 
But I also want to mention Beth Vanderkolk, who has been doing this longer than me, but a lot of people do not know her. And she is an absolute community powerhouse. Uh, she's at Envision, HomeAway, GitLab, and she's, she's incredible. So those are my two. Amazing. Plus one for both of those. What's a go-to community engagement tactic or conversation starter that you like to use in your communities? I love asking people about what their first job was because there's almost always a great story behind it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I do that for people on my teams also. I love that. And I'm noticing a lot when I ask people this question, it comes back to like empowering people to tell their stories mm -hmm. is often what works really well. Yeah. Oh, remember that that great conversation we had about our communities starting like the start of our community stories. Mm -hmm. we were, yeah. We just had drinks and talked about all the great things that kicked off our community careers. And this is, you know, it's similar, but it's usually something absolutely ridiculous. Like my first job, I worked at Chuck E. Cheese. Now, you know, secrets out. <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese. Chuck E. Cheese. I did have to dress up as Chuck E. multiple times. So you did. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. That, that explains a lot. Yeah. Kids are not nice to Chuck E. If you're... <laughs> That's why you're so bitter. <laughs> <laughs> that amongst many, many other things. Born this way, okay? I came out of a the old Jewish lady, like eight years old at heart. <laughs> See, this is the content that the podcast listeners are waiting for. Right, I'm sure. All right, next question. If you could only choose one metric to use for the rest of your career to measure communities, what would that metric be? If you could see me, I'm definitely rolling my eyes at this question right now. <laughs> it's an impossible question. Communities I'm are surprised you haven't been rolling your eyes at every question. Well, I just didn't on. tell you that I was. There's no time for this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I think this is an impossible question to answer. Communities are dynamic. There's so many ways to look at them from different perspectives. Um, I just a couple of days ago tweeted a picture. I think it was like of a cheetah. And the cheetah had a, a cub in its mouth. And it looked like it was eating it. And then another picture was you could see from the other side that the cheetah was actually just holding the cub. And then the caption was something about like why radiologists need two views of everything to make a decision. And I feel like the same with community, right? Like you can't just look at it from one view and understand the full picture of what's going on. So I say no to your question. No. <laughs> I say nay. Nay. What's your top two metrics? Come on. <laughs> You don't get to do that. But I need to get a metric out of you. Fine. Engagement. Engagement's a very important one. But what, you what's engagement? That's not a metric. So many things with engagement. So see, you're right. That's not a metric. You're really, you're hurting my heart right now, David. I can't pick <laughs> one. I cannot pick one. It's wrong. Do you have a few that you like? I mean, of course I do. It depends, of course, on your business goals. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> what do you want from me? I mean, there's so many, but of course, like thinking about engagement because growth is a great you know, thing to think about. Of course, you want your community to be growing, but I would rather have a small community that's engaging regularly um, and having valuable conversations. So one example that I like to use, if you think about a forum and how you incentivize people to answer questions in a forum, it has to come down to people wanting to authentically engage. Because if you get someone that's just rapid answering all the questions that doesn't have much value you want the person that's going in there answering questions adding screenshots following up you know that's what builds an authentic community so you can't just look at numbers like that you have to really understand deeper level of engagement have you figured out any ways to measure that at scale without kind of the anecdotal observations um i think that Comsor is an interesting, um, you know, an interesting product that's taking a stab at that for sure. And just, you can put in kind of your own, this is not a, this is not an ad, but I think you'll see a lot of community products that are doing this where you can really understand different um, pieces of your community and all of your community programs. And then you can set the measurements of, of how you want to look at those across the board. So not yet. Yeah. Um, I think that it's a tricky problem to solve, but I hope to yeah. see a lot of companies solving them. Totally. And I think that's like a huge gap in the tech ecosystem for community where everyone builds platforms, but really understanding how people are interacting with those platforms and spaces and understanding the member identity is is a huge one. I'm excited to see what Comsor is working on there. Yeah, absolutely. And full disclosure, I have to say that I invested in Comsor, so <laughs> I don't want that not to be out there. It's not a commercial for them, but I am really excited about this space. That's why I invested. I think that we'll see a lot more of this and I'm excited to um, see what comes of this piece because you're right, it has been missing. Love it. Uh, next question. What's the weirdest community you've ever been a part of? <laughs> oh 
gosh, probably a ton, but I would say the first one that comes to mind is BBYO, which is B'nai B'rith Youth Organization. So when I was in high school, it was like basically like Jewish fraternities and sororities, but like we got mm-hmm. really into it. Like you had your colors and everybody would just wear all those colors and you had, there were, there was like a board and you had to run to be on the board of each chapter and then a regional board. So we got really, really into it. Um, it's just kind of weird like, <laughs> that all these Jewish kids are like, they had songs, like it was nuts. Um, so it is kind of weird. And to no one's surprise, uh, my, the role I was on, on the board was called Majakha, which is welcoming all the new members and member programs. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <Jacked>, right. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Started, yeah. started young. So, um, yeah, I loved that experience. It was totally weird when I look back at it and all the stuff we used to do. Super weird. Love it. Yeah, I mean, kids always participate in some really weird communities in the early days. I think I, I went to some B'nai B'rith, like, events and programs and stuff like that. I don't really remember, but it rings a bell. Yeah, well, ours were the best, so. <laughs> well, I should have yeah. come to yours. Maybe yeah. I would have stuck around more. Yeah. Low yeah. community engagement in the one I went to. <laughs> uh, okay, last question. If you are on your deathbed today and you had to condense all of your life lessons into one Twitter-sized piece of advice that you want to give to the rest of the world, what would that advice be? David, I'm an 80-year-old Jewish woman. I'm on my deathbed every day. WebMD <laughs> tells me today's the last day, every single day. <laughs> so I think about You're an old life. soul. I'm an old soul. Yeah, so slow down. Be kind to other people. Appreciate yourself. Stand up for what you believe in. Do what you love. Uh, I don't know if this is short enough for a tweet. Do what you love. Drink water. Wear sunscreen. and the best the best support you'll ever get is the support you give yourself Mm. Mm. i uh, i wrote a blog post called the broken seesaw um about uh, Mm -hmm. you know the work-life balance of a community professional and that was a great one oh thank you i think it resonated with a lot of people i probably got around 200 messages after i wrote that um and it's far my most popular blog posts, you know, thousands of people read it. And I think that's, that says something about the need to talk about this stuff. And so I, you know, kind of these pieces I, I bring up in, in that blog post and, you know, highly recommend if, you know, you want to, you want to learn more about work-life balance as a community professional. It's, it's really interesting. My story is kind of crazy, but mm. you know, I think about all these things all the time now, especially slow down and supporting myself and appreciating myself because, you know, mm. it, after a career of people not believing in community, it's hard to do that. But mm. now we get to look back and say, I proved you wrong. And that's the best feeling in the world. Yeah. Yeah. That resonates a lot. Yeah. <laughs> one of the most popular blog posts I ever wrote was how I got fired from a hot startup. And it was all about my burnout experience yeah. in the community. Yeah, people don't want to just hear about the successes. They can certainly learn from the things that that we've done long, wrong along the way. And I want I want people to learn that. I want people to see the things that I have, you know, my missteps that I've made because I had to write that book myself, right? So did you? Like we didn't have anything like this to read and you know to better understand, uh, you know, all of these different pieces and what to avoid. So I'm happy to provide that to anybody anytime. Um, you know, very, I'm an open book, clearly. On that note, uh, where can people go to continue to follow you and learn from you? That would be holyfirestone.com. Uh, working on that site, but it'll redirect to all my blog posts on Medium for now. Uh, but holyfirestone.com. And on Twitter, you're you're a good tweeter. Oh, yes. I do tweet a lot. It does get a little vulgar, and I'm very opinionated, which I mentioned in my bio, so you've been warned, but that is just at holyfirestone. Holly Firestone in Atlanta, who remarried, gave me that handle. Very nice woman. <laughs> Very kind. Uh, yes. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Holly, I, you know, you're somebody who's just been along my side in the journey of the community industry and CMX since the very, very early days, since you gave me that beautiful feedback. <laughs> and uh, I mean, you're someone who just so genuinely cares about the people who do this work in this industry. And you're so generous with your time and, and your lessons and your learnings. And everyone who's ever worked with you just has nothing but the most positive things to say. So oh, David, you know, I'm really, oh, I'm really grateful for you. I'm really grateful for everything you've done for our community and for me. So, and, and for yeah. taking the time to to chat today and share all, all your lessons here. There's an enormous amount of insight in this, in this episode that I think everyone's going to get a lot out of. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Everything you just said, of course, um, it's been an amazing journey and I do really care about this industry so much. I want everybody to have a better experience than what we experienced. So thank you so much again. I love doing this and um, yeah, I appreciate you. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks everybody. We'll see you next time. 
The Masters of Community is brought to you by CMX, the world's largest network of community professionals, and Bevy, the enterprise platform powering communities for the world's leading brands. This episode was edited and produced by Finesse Media. Music was provided by Seiji Cataldo, and design was provided by Virginia DeMarco. If you enjoy this episode, please drop us a review in iTunes. It's a huge help for helping us get this podcast in front of more people. We really, really appreciate it. And share it with your networks. The more people that learn about the power of community, the better. We have a new episode every week. So until then, thank you so much for listening and see you next time.